Hey, this is uh, Bokeh Nahbar and this is the Details Podcast, episode number four. My co-host, Andrzej Tomic, what's up? What's up, Bokeh? What's new in Ljubljana? Nothing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I wanted to make something up, but just there's nothing new. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so that's good. That's good. That means that everything's fine then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humming along nicely. <laughs> um, tonight, this is the fourth episode of our podcast. Um, in the previous, the third episode, we had um, Cara Santa Maria on, uh, American science communicator, podcaster, and a TV personality. Uh, great talk with her. Um, you know, we we um, we spoke about a lot of different different subject, um, religion, um, GMOs, Ebola, uh, and and many other things. Um, definitely a podcast that uh, is worth listening uh, because I think you can definitely learn a lot about these topics. Um, and tonight or today we have um, a very special guest if you ask me um i've been following this this guy for a while um on on twitter on on, on through podcasts um i'm a big fan of his he's a very interesting guy very interesting personality um italian born writer uh university pr- professor and podcaster um he uh he's a really cool dude lives in la his name is daniele bolelli he's been a guest on joe rogan's podcast a few times he has he has his own podcast called the Drunken Taoist podcast, which, which is one of the best philosophy podcasts uh, in the world. Um, that's not me saying it, that's iTunes proving it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've been talking to Daniele um, through emails back and forth for, for a while. Um, it has to be months um, because I, I always had it on my mind to talk to him once we're going to start the English version of, of our podcast. Uh, and then um, tonight uh, we'll finally have a chance to, uh, to talk to him. Um, Andrzej, where can people uh, listen our, to our podcast and where can they check out our previous episodes? Yeah, the podcast is on the detailspodcast.com. That's the site. And we're, of course, in iTunes. So if you can rate us there, that would be awesome because that helps other people find the show. Definitely, definitely. Um, and uh, one more thing I'd like to mention is that um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, on the, uh, the, I was a guest on the uh, Ripple Effect podcast. Uh, which is a podcast uh, with the, with the host. Uh, his name is Ricky Verandas um, from the states. Really cool podcast with a lot of different guests that are um, kind of like in our area. What we do here with Danje, um, Karen Santa Maria was on. Daniele Bolelli was on there. Uh, Dan Carlin was a guest there, and many many others. Uh, and um, I had a chance to be a guest there. And I have I have to tell you, it's a really cool podcast that uh, you should check out. It's called the Ripple Effect Podcast. Uh, it's on iTunes, it's uh, on YouTube, so go definitely and check it out. Uh, Ricky, if you're listening to this, shout out to you as well. Anything else we, we got to add before we start this thing? No, that's pretty much it. All right, then uh, Daniele, Daniele Boleri is ready, he's in LA, um, and uh, I'm really excited to get this conversation started. Andre, start this thing. Um, Daniele Bolelli, uh, finally this is happening. Um, I, uh, in, the, in the intro that uh, uh, we recorded with Najee, I explained to people that um, it, was a, it was a back and forth email 
conversation for a while between you and me. Um, finally, finally, we got online and uh, we're able to talk. So welcome to the Details Podcast. I'm really, really happy to, to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, for those of you who don't know, Daniele is, uh, is born in Italy. Um, as I mentioned, uh, he's a university professor, martial artist, and podcaster. Um, author of several books, including uh, On the Warrior's Path and Create Your Own Religion, which uh, is definitely one of my favorite, all-time, all-time favorite books. Um, his uh, Drunken Taoist podcast was ranked number one in the world in the philosophy section of iTunes um, just one month after his debut in 2012. Uh, he was featured in I Am Bruce Lee documentary, which broke Spike TV's rating record for documentaries. Um, he's, uh, he's a regular guest on uh, Joe Rogan podcast, among many others, um, and overall really, really interesting guy. Uh, Daniele, I gotta ask you first, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I've I heard it before when, when one of your podcasts. But I want to know if if I if I go on your webpage, if mm-hmm. anybody goes on your webpage, the first photo that you see of you is you wearing a nice shirt and a tie and books in one hand, and then wearing a, a MMA glove on the other with the with the middle finger uh, popping up and then uh, you know. Uh, uh, Bruised, bruised eye, you know, like bruised nose. Explain this photo, photo to people who who would probably go on on your webpage right now and look at this photo. It's a perfect explanation of Taoism, right? There's a little bit of yin yang right there. There's the nerdy, cleaner version, and there's the just tough and uh, MMA uh, rough version of it all. Uh, that's kind of what I'm interested in. I'm interested in. Uh, people and things that encompasses more than just one set of qualities. I'm not interested in human beings who do their best to live up to stereotypes. I'm interested in human beings who are, who can surprise me. So, I mean, if somebody's people who like to read a lot and were very sensitive in that regard and were very, after a while, there's only so many times I want to talk about books. Let's do something else. By the same token, people are all about sports, 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 action, physicality. It's great, but even that gets boring after a while. My right. thing is um, to be a complete human being, to be ultimately an interesting human being, you need to be multifaceted. You need to be able to touch lives in different form. Uh, life doesn't speak a single language. You know, life is, uh, is made of so many different energies and I'm interested in exploring a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that, that photo um, really, really sums it up perfectly, um, the, way, the way you explained. And, uh, you know, listening to you, to your podcast and listening to you being on other shows, it, 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 it really, really, it's a perfect one. I don't know who came up with the idea, but it's, uh, it's definitely a perfect... <laughs> Perfect photo. Let's dig it. You've been living in LA for how many years now? Uh, since 1992. So that's now 22 years. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a while. Um, we had, um, every time we have from some people, whether they're from States or people who lived in the States and are from Europe, we always ask them, like, how do they adjust? How, how do they get used to, to living the American life, you know, especially living in LA, which is such a specific American city? Um, you know, the differences you had to go through once you had to, like, get adjusted to living there. Um, you're from Milan, right? And it's, yeah. it's, I imagine the cities are much, much different from each other. Um, you know, give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, at first it was really rough because, um, 
like, well, actually, no, the very beginning was great because for a few months I felt like this is the friendliest place in the world. I had like a million phone numbers right away. People became friends much quicker than in Europe. I was like, this is awesome. But then I also realized people became friends really fast because they the speed of life here is such that the odds are either you hit it off right away or you're never really going to meet each other down the road again. <laughs> so it's it wasn't, you know, it, Europe, a lot of it is you, you meet somebody, you start out slow, you develop more. It's kind of built over time. Whereas here is there is no time. It's either right now or people are gone in about three seconds. So I find it kind of... There was an element of it that was sort of superficial. There's an element that's exciting because you do run into a lot of people, many of them really interesting human beings, but it also doesn't really give you, I mean, especially LA where people come from all over the place and uh, the nature of American life is motion. People are here one day, the next day are across the globe, then they leave in, you know, it's not like, in Europe, you can get away from people even if you want to. You know, it's like you're going to find the same people you went to kindergarten with. They are still living in the same house 40 years later. Uh, here, nothing stays the same. It's constantly changing. People are moving all the time. So that part was a little weird. I wasn't used to it. And also, you know, to me, Italy, for my standards, wasn't friendly enough. I needed more of a tribal life. LA is a million times less than Italy. So in that regard, I was having a bit of a rough time, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, eventually I realized that, I mean, there is no place where you get everything you want. Um, there are plus and minuses in different places. And one of the things that's great about LA is that just about anything you want to do, you have the opportunity to do it. There's somebody out there who's working on those very things. So LA is awesome for getting stuff done, um, running into interesting human beings. Is problematic from a, if you are interested in community, big network of friends, or all of that. But yeah, good luck here. That's not going to happen. But, um, but you know, it's like anything else. It's plus and minuses. And plus, it's not even like even the pluses of Italy. It's not that when I was in Italy, I was all that happy about it. I needed more than that. So it's not that I went from a situation where I had everything I wanted in one regard, and then LA was offering me other things. Even the stuff I did like about Italy wasn't quite enough of what I wanted. So after a while, I figured, you know, that's probably not going to happen in Italy or in LA. At least in LA, I get some, I get to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about what about the food, though? Like, I mean, Italian. Uh, look, I, I lived in the states and I have been to LA many times and in different restaurants. But the food itself, like, once you go to Italy and you have the real Italian food, I don't think any restaurant, no matter how many times they say that it's authentic, I don't think nothing can compare to a typical Italian I agree. restaurant. I agree. No, the food is, uh, yeah, it's a sore spot. It's good that you get to try other things. You know, like Thai food in LA is great. Uh, you're not gonna get Thai food in Milan, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Thai food is great. There are a few other things that I dig. But, yeah, as far as Italian food goes, yeah, that's sorely missing. I, you know, I cook at home as much as I can. I mean, I'm, I never really go to an Italian restaurant out here. But the ingredients are different, you know. It's changing yeah. in Italy, too. Like, the quality of food is actually not as good as it used to be just 10 years ago. I don't know if it has to do with commercial farming practices or what, but it's definitely going down even in Italy. Uh, but clearly, Italy still, you know, head and shoulders above what I can get out here. Yeah, for sure. No, I was, I was in, I was in Milan just a couple of weeks ago again, and uh, 
I don't know, man. When I eat pasta there, it's like I'm in a different world. Seriously. Oh, okay. And it's just it's just a simple pasta with tomato sauce, you know, but it's so be- much better. And it seems so simple, but it's so much better than any other restaurant anywhere in the world, you know. But even know, that, you know, something like a freaking tomato. You grow a tomato, like you buy a tomato <laughs> in the market here. It's basically water in a, in a red, round container because it doesn't taste like much. Right. Um, yeah, right. You buy, and again, it's not quite as good as it used to be, but you got a tomato in Italy. It tastes like a whole different thing. It fills yeah. you up a lot more. It's like, it's a very different beast. Well, yeah, it, it tastes like a, like a tomato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thought, I know, but yes. No, but so you're, so you're not a fan of the olive olive garden then? Not I guess. exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody took me there once, and I was like, "Good God, why?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Oh no, I, I no, I the the food thing is always uh, like interesting to me because I think the only thing the Americans got right was the beef. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think like the beef they got right. Everything else is kind of you know the, yeah. it leaves a lot to be desired, basically. Well, and I mean, French and French fries, American French fries, I think is right. <laughs> yeah, the cool thing about LA is that you get food from all over the world, and I'm sure is nowhere is not what it was in the country of origin. The same way as Italian food is not the same here as it's in Italy. I'm sure the same other foods that I enjoy eating here, um, they're, you know, again, I like Thai food. I'm sure in Thailand is a whole different thing. But I like some of the variety that you get from having, I mean, LA is probably one of the most globalized places in the world where you get people from all over. So even the cuisine, you have people, you know, different flavors, different things from literally all over the world. The variety aspect is fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, so how did you get into podcasting? Like, well, I honestly didn't know a damn thing about podcasting until <laughs> I went on to the, the very first time that I was a guest on a Joe Rogan podcast. And um, I remember asking, you know, I was like, how the hell does that, what exactly does this mean? How does it work? And uh, uh, I think it was Red Banner. I can't remember who told me, but basically they were like, well, it's kind of like radio, except it's on the internet and you can cast as much as you want. I was like, <laughs> that's on perfect. <laughs> and then after being a guest enough times on uh, several podcasts, I started getting people asking me about it and, hey, why don't you start your own thing? And you went on for a good year or so. And then uh, eventually, I mean, I was really just trying to avoid it in a way because uh, I didn't quite see the full potential and I saw how much work it would be to set up. So I was like, you know what, sure, if somebody is going to take care of the editing for me and is going to worry about staging it, iTunes, everything else, and I I just need to speak in a microphone, sure, but otherwise, sorry, too busy. And, you know, the second I said that, which I thought I'd found the perfect excuse not to have to deal with it anymore, like immediately I got emails from Retrievers was like, hey, I'm an editor here in Culver City, a few miles from you. Uh, you have access to a studio. And then Evan Culver was like, oh, I'm, I can take care of your website. I can put everything on iTunes. And I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I have to do a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you record your podcast in the studio? In most of the time, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, occasionally we've done it at home a few times. Um, I've done at home the um, I put together this thing that I put on my website, which was this uh, lecture series that I put up for sale about Taoism, and uh, that one I recorded at home. And I was kind of cute. It was sort of a test to see if it would work or not, and uh, it worked out great because 
you know, not having guests when it's just you talking, it's easier to do even just with my Mac. Plug yeah. microphone in. Uh, somebody showed me how to use GarageBand, and then I was like, okay, I can do this. And um, and then it was, um, yeah, and I was really happy. You know, I would get to put my daughter to bed. The second she falls asleep, I go in my room, record 20 minutes of lectures. Great. Do it over a period of time. I eventually ended up having seven hours of material, put it out there. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. So I'm thinking there's a second podcast that I want to start that's going to be more history-based. Sort yeah, of like I, I just saw that. I just saw that on you. You talked to some people on Twitter. I just saw it yesterday. And yeah, I'm super excited about that. Do you have any time frame when you, when you're going to start it? Because history is like one of the, my favorite topics, and uh, obviously listening to Dan Carlin's hardcore history is uh, is amazing. But adding you to the mix would be would be unbelievable. I can just imagine to add your your special touch of you know the way you view religion, the way your you, your view of the world would would just make it unbelievable. So I just want to know how how close is that to actually happening? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My goal was when I first figured out, yeah, I'm going to do this a few months back. I was like, okay, before the end of 2014. And now there's not much time before the end of 2014. It's definitely not going to happen. But uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm hoping early 2015, like maybe February or something like that i'm not so june so june yeah exactly yes basically you know right now is um i'm writing a i finishing writing a book so i need to get that out of the way before i can dedicate any attention to the historical podcast i did do some this summer like i did uh, put all the notes together all the research for one episode so the one i just have to record that should be quick But I really want to have at least three or four episodes recorded already before I start releasing them, because then the amount of time you have to research between episodes is so long that I don't want to have people waiting forever from one episode to the next. So I want to buy myself at least a little cushion at the beginning where I have maybe three or four episodes ready to go while I'm doing the research for the next one. Because mm-hmm. so, that's what that's what happens to Dan Carlin, I think. Uh, you know, because he's doing it on the go, and and he's you know he's doing the I think he's doing the uh, the First World War podcast now. Um, yeah, and and it's like three four months in between one and the other podcast, which it's it's such an amazing podcast that is definitely worth the, worth the wait. But it is sometimes in between. You're like, ah, when is it gonna come out? You know, you like exactly, wait for it. and that wait is not always nice. You know. No, and the thing too is that you know Dan, that's not how we started. You know he can do, he can afford to do that now because by now he has such a devoted following that people will wait three four months because they know that it's gonna be amazing when it comes out. Right. Starting out, I can't afford to do that. I will need to release on a more regular basis. So I'm thinking like at least eight to ten episodes a year, something like that. So that means if I have to put something out almost every month or at least six weeks or so, six weeks is not really enough when, you know, I'm working full time in college, I'm doing a million other things. There really is not enough time to do all the research uh, for a serious heavy subject in history and put it together. So I really need to have at least the initial head start with a few episodes ready to go before I can uh, before I can start releasing them. Do, do you have... 
more or less an idea of which which uh, time in history you wanna you wanna tackle more. It's gonna, like... be, it's gonna be all over. It's really gonna be just whatever is intense, passionate, makes for great storytelling. Then that's where I'll go. So I'm thinking, you know, the first few, the one that I've prepared is all about the slave wars in ancient Rome, primarily Spartacus, but not only. You know, there are three three different slave wars during a period of seventy years in Rome. I'll do those ones. Mm-hmm. Then I was thinking I want to do, I definitely want to cover early on some of the, um, the Battle of the Little Bighorn, you know, Caster against the Lakota people, Crazy Horse, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I want to cover, what I'll do to keep myself relatively sane is I'll mix some of these big epic episodes that are probably going to run over two hours with some that are a little shorter where I don't need to do quite as much um, historical research. So, for example, I, I want to do one about... Uh, remember the story about that one guy that they found in the Alps? Uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The course. Iceman, you know, the of one that man made. It's a cool story, it's great, it's fun, but realistically, I probably end up talking 45 minutes to an hour. There's only so much you can tell since, you know, it's all based on archaeological stuff. There's limited uh, amount of... Uh, sources you can go on so you know i'm thinking of mixing those you know i'll do epic spartacus two and a half hour episode okay the next one is 45 minute iceman episode and the short ones are going to give me the chance to actually release them on time because you know the big epic ones it takes probably three months to do research so in order to release stuff more often i have to alternate with some that are a little faster yeah yeah for sure um, do you um, do you like feed on on the on the feedback you get back? Like, I mean, is it is that something that motivates you to keep going on, or you or is there also a part of you just doing it for yourself, for your passion of the history, or the, your passion of, of religion um, that the, the podcast you're doing now? I mean, it's it's obviously it has to be something you do for yourself first and foremost because you need to enjoy it. Otherwise, no amount of feedback will make it worth it. But at the same time, the feedback also is a huge push. Because suddenly when, you know, like anybody, you have your moments where like, why well, am I doing this again? What's the point? Yeah, I mean, I know this stuff. Why do I need to work so hard for it? Having people tell you why it matters to them, why it's a big deal to them, how it may even help them, then it's like, okay, you know, there's a function here. I'm, I'm doing something that other people are depending on. So let's go for it. You know, it definitely the feedback you get is highly encouraging. And I remember just, when was that, about a month ago, two months ago, something like this, I went up to Vancouver in Canada with uh, Duncan Trussell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was, I was following that on Twitter when you guys were, <laughs> were up there. Yeah, he did this thing where basically he invited me over because he was doing this series of live recording of podcasts in front of a live audience in a theater. And actually, you know, email is great enough, but when you actually see the people and the level of how enthusiastic they were about podcasting, about what we were doing, it was so inspiring. You know, it just it was a real big boost of energy, making you want to put out more, just do more stuff out there, just feel like I need to just put more content out there. Um, I don't know, man. I was really, really super grateful to have a chance to, to see that. No, we uh, actually interesting that you mentioned that because me and Je uh, and another friend of mine, um, uh, Bustian Gorenz Pijama, who is a stand-up comedian, 
we we also have our own podcast in in Slovenian language that we do. Uh, we do one in English and one in Slovenian. And in the summer, we did uh, we did a live um, podcast in front of um, you know uh, people in the. Um, I don't know if I would call it theater, Andre. How would you call the the place, the comedy club, right? Yeah, it's a comedy yeah. club. Yeah. Um, and and we were also surprised. First of all, we were surprised by how many people showed up, and second was the just the, the seeing the the laughs, the faces, the the smiles, the the surprised looks. Uh, it definitely gave us all a, a hard push for forward to 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 be even more motivated to do this. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, and, and I think once in a while it's good to, to do a live podcast like that just because it give, you get the direct feedback, which I think is very important. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that the podcasting community is missing is more face-to-face stuff because, you know, podcasting is great because it allows you to connect with like-minded people all over the world. But then, you know, when you open the door to your home, you're, it's still the same thing, you know, whereas... I'm interested in events or happenings where people can come together with the excuse of the podcast or something related to the podcast. But then really it's more about them meeting each other and, uh, you know, getting to know other human beings who are into the same thing in this regard. That's why I was thinking, you know, it would be great for somebody like Duncan to do um, a retreat where, you know, you go out for a weekend away where you do, you know, whether it's podcasting, lectures, whatever, but it's really mainly so that the people who go there get to meet each other, you know? Right. That is more... Because that's the only part that's missing. It's too much of a virtual community and not enough yeah. of a face-to-face yeah. community. And the virtual community is awesome. It's great. But why not add another level to that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, it's, and I guess you're used to, you know, talking to people since you teach, right? Yeah. I guess that... <laughs> that's kind of... Because Andre, Andre had, had, uh, he was so nervous before before we did our, our last podcast. Andre, be, be a man and admitted that you were super nervous when we did Yeah, I was, yeah, because every time there's a crowd, I get really nervous. Then when it starts, I'm okay. But before it starts, I'm a nervous rag, basically. Oh. Which I, I imagine you don't have that problem since you teach, right? I mean, you do to some degree. There's a little element of that that's always there. But I think it becomes uh, small enough that you that is not that paralyzing feeling anymore. And uh, uh, and that's what makes. I mean, even like Duncan was like Duncan Russell does a million uh, live uh, comedy events and all of that. And I remember backstage, he was really excited, but there was an element of nervousness, right? But you know, that kind of nervousness that doesn't really make him stop or skip a beat, just that keeps him on the edge. And I think that's the difference of when you do something long enough, it doesn't really go away but it lessens to the point where it's just excitement and it's not so much the, oh, shit, I have to do this thing. I can't breathe anymore. My muscles are becoming all tense. It's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you, you guys know very well. It's like sports, right? If you go yeah, yeah, yeah. the crowd, the, the first few times you do it, it's hell. Uh, if you start doing it every week for years in a row, they're like, "Huh, it's another game, you know, whatever." Yeah, you but know? but you know, you know, even though I, I've been I've been playing professional basketball for I think more than fifteen years now, okay. uh, you know, I, I still get nervous before games. But it's not that nervousness that it would be a negative. It's it's an exciting feeling. Like I'm I'm excited about it. I you know my palms get 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 um, sweaty. Um, I could say that I'm a little bit nervous, but if I'm if I wouldn't be, I would think that something's wrong. You know, like I like that feeling. You know, I, I need that feeling. It's I think it's necessary to perform well. You know, and again, that's the one you are saying, right? Is not the one that paralyzes. That's the difference. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah. Excitement, nervousness is fine, 
the one that's not fine is the one that paralyzes you, which is the one that you are going to have. I mean, especially public speaking, if you don't do it regularly, most people do get that feeling of like, oh, shit, I have to talk to all these people. What am I get? You know, it's, it's scary. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. Did, 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 that, did that happen to you in the past? Did, did, even in the beginning when you started teaching and you had people, you know, their eyes open and looking at you, did you like stutter for a little bit and couldn't continue? Like, did that happen to you or you were, you were always able to go just through it? I think I got through it, but it was at the edge, right? Where it was like, ooh, damn, this is, you know, where you feel it beforehand. And, you know, after a little bit, I started getting more and more used to it. I became less and less nervous. But I remember yeah, once was really funny because I decided I would sit in a class the first day of classes in a semester. I wanted to sit among the students kind of just to get the vibe from them. And then I would get up and start. Right. <laughs> and after sitting among them or so you have these, uh, oh, who's going to step up and let's see that. Suddenly I was I was nervous all of a sudden, which I hadn't been in years because I was feeling it from the other side. And I was like, oh shit, there's more pressure now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I know what you're trying to say. Interesting. Yeah. Andre. Uh, so speaking of teaching, like wh- what do you teach? I teach primarily I man, I've been kind of all over the place lately, it's primarily history. I'm teaching uh, American Indian history. I'm teaching U.S. history, and I'm that's teaching, awesome. Since you're an Italian, that's I know it's awesome. funny. And, that's, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I never really took a U.S. history class in my life before, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, U.S. history, Native American, and uh, history of uh, religions, world religions. Oh yeah, okay. See that that makes more sense for an Italian, I guess. The <laughs> but religions but I think you know, the, um, I've been really all over. Like I taught. Um, like, for example, most ethnic studies department in U.S., the only people who teach in those departments are people who are from that particular ethnicity. So, you know, in an African-American study department, everybody's African-American. In a Chicano-Latino department, everybody's Chicano-Latino. In an Asian-American study. And I ended up teaching in two different of those departments because I've taught regularly for a long time in American-Indian studies. And I've taught courses in Asian American studies, and I'm neither of those things, and somehow I ended up doing that anyway. I think that kind of is my way of, I don't really fit in in a simple box where, you know, I went up to one day an Asian American study department when I barely gotten my first master's. And I went up to this department at UCLA where you can only teach with a PhD the expectations is that probably you should be Asian-American and you probably should have done a bunch of university work in Asian-American studies. I had zero work in Asian-American studies. I was not Asian-American. I did not have a PhD. And I ended up teaching for them anyway. And part of it is because I ran into a cool person that he liked the project. You know, I basically told him, look, I can teach this course about uh, history and philosophy of martial arts and uh, also about martial arts in cinema. Uh, if it, if you don't give it to me, it's not like you're going to find somebody else who can teach that stuff. So, you know, you decide you either like the class and you pick me or, or you don't, or you don't do it period. Cause there's no one else who's going to be able to do it. And I think he was open-minded enough and cool enough that he was like, yeah, I think students would dig it. Why not? Let's go. And in fact, I had a blast doing that, but you know, it's like, that has been kind of my MO people here expect you to, Especially academia, they want you to specialize in one thing and be the guy who's all about that. 
that's not how I work. I like to well, yeah. focus on a bunch of different things, and to me, it makes it more interesting. So, what, what would you what would you describe your your, um, your teaching style? I, I read on I read on your web page a comment that uh, uh, many students would 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 call it a half stand up comedian, a half Zen master. Um, I like that. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sure it's got to be really interesting to be your student. Like, how do you how do you approach teaching? Like, what 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 really is your style, and how do you try to like motivate um, the students to 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 you know follow to what you're trying to teach? I think that's why the hardcore history by Dan Carlin resonated with me because that sort of my my approach is it needs to be entertaining. It needs to be. I don't expect you to care about the subject or to have any previous knowledge. I just expect you to be a human being with emotions. So we sit down and to me it's like sitting over coffee with a friend and you're just telling them some really amazing story. And then you're kind of tossing it back and forth so that it becomes something that they can see how that particular tale either is just so such a cool storytelling that you get into it or it's something that can relate to your life. And then you start thinking about, you know, you again, you don't have to be intrigued in the specific topic. You care because those uh, the issues that that topic raise affect your own life and they are very real. They To me, at the end, you know, it doesn't even matter where I start from, whether it is religion, CUS, Native American, Asian American stuff. It's all I always end up talking about the same things. And the same things are life, really. It's everything from sex, uh, food, uh, key values that shape who you want to be, um, a relationship with money and material success versus time you spend with friends, community, uh, gender roles. You know, Those are the things that everybody can relate to because they are part of everybody's life to one degree or another. Yeah, true. And uh, do, do you get... In, in your class, do you get a lot of uh, questions or, um, yeah, I would say questions or people or students asking you like, oh, can you touch on the subject that you mentioned in the podcast, but you didn't go into it? Like, are they bringing the stuff out or you you go your own course, you know, um, because I imagine like, you know, your podcast being so popular and you being on Joe Rogan and, and, and others, which people listen to. And then all of a sudden they them the, the students having you in the, in the classroom. Um, is the, I mean, is, are these students like following following your your I would say podcasting career, or is it strictly just the the the, the class? Um, some and some, you know, there are people who do listen to the podcast, and uh, but usually, you know, the topics that I talk about in class are the kind of thing that I also end up bringing up on a podcast anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's not such a big separation. It's just the specific. Uh, I guess the justification to get into those topics is different every time because it's connected with a specific course, but the bigger theme is not. It's always sort of you end up touching on the same things. So, yeah, I mean, I do end up talking about a lot of the things that then I'll... and And the same is true going the other way around. Like if I'm... If I have a great conversation in a classroom and I think, oh, that was awesome, it really touched people in a big way and they were into it, then I'll be like, great, let's use it for a podcast then. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, you you also are a martial artist. I mean, you even had some pro MMA fights or 
um, you know, back in Italy, which which I think it's 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 very impressive and amazing. Like I can never imagine, even though I'm an athlete, I can never imagine myself stepping into the ring and and trying that. Um, and and you know, being a, a prof- university professor at the same time, that's got to be a pretty pretty interesting inter- interesting mix. Um, how, how important is or was martial artists for you to to shape you as as a, as a human being, to shape your personality, to who you are today? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it had had to have a big effect on on you know your thinking and your growing up and your your mentality in, in general. I think it's because I'm by nature I'm more very sensitive, a little nerdy. I kind of needed something that would take me in a different direction, and sports was, were always great for that. But particularly something like martial arts that deals with conflict which is something that i never been so comfortable with, it was great for me to explore in order to add an edge to my personality. Otherwise, my personality was a little too soft, uh, sort of those nice, sweet, mellow, kind of nerdy, <laughs> but, you know, not enough fire. Or rather, a fire that's purely intellectual, and that's not the same as the fire that you find in tendon and muscles and blood and body, you know? So uh, it was great for me. It's been a really good thing in terms of character building because it's precisely because it's not what I'm naturally drawn to. Um, it helped me a bunch. It certainly forced me to deal with fear in ways that otherwise I wouldn't have. And not that I think that that solved my problems or that I mastered uh, uh, my relationship with fear, but it certainly helped me more than if I had never done it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been has been very, very key for my life. It's been a very important part of my life. So, you, you still train, or is that something that uh, you don't you don't you don't do anymore? I'm trying. I'm trying. Like I went yesterday it was um, just the last three years because my life has been so damn weird and um, intense on in a lot of ways has been, you know, whereas for the 20 years prior, I always trained more or less religiously, the the last three years have been really difficult. You know, I'll start training, I'll train a little bit, and I'll have some kind of physical problem I can't train for a month. And then I go back in, I'm in three, four times, uh, and I get injured. And then I go back in. So, you know, the last three years have been very spotty. Like, I Mm -hmm. still kind of train, but not really train, you know? Yeah. So that's where I'm hoping that that changes eventually, but I have no idea. You know, that's sort of the... Because it's not just time management, it's also just general level of messiness of my life, stress, health problems, all sorts of things that go with everything going on uh, lately. I'm hoping to come out of it and eventually get my nose above water again and come to a place where I can go back to enjoy something that was crucial to keep my mental sanity. So um, that's the goal. It's kind of spotty right now. I, okay. It's not like stop training, but in, it hasn't been the same level of regularity that it used to be. Right, right. Um, well, uh, according to Wikipedia, and if it's, if it's bullshit, you go ahead and tell me, but according to Wikipedia, one, you said once that everything I know about life I learned from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, know you're, I know you're a huge Conan the Barbarian fan. Um, you know, I, I've seen you posting stuff on the internet about him, and, and I always enjoy those tweets and, and comments. But um, did, did you really say that, and what did, you, what did you mean by that, if you did say that? If not, just tell me it's bullshit, and we'll try to delete no, it from I, Wikipedia. It's actually, it's actually true, and it's... Um, 
It's funny you mentioned it because the next podcast episode that I'm going to release of the Drunken Taoist, the one that comes out in the beginning of December, is going to be a chat that I had with a friend entirely about Conan. So that's <laughs> precisely on this topic. Conan, I watch uh, the first Conan, the one by John Milius, which in my mind yeah, is the only Milius, yeah. Yeah. The other, They made a sequel with Schwarzenegger, which sucked painfully. It was horrible. Then they did the one a couple of years ago, which was, you know, it didn't really speak to me. There was nothing there. Um, so the only Conan movie that I've ever seen was Milius, which was amazing, you know, in 1982. And uh, and then I started reading the novels, the or rather the short story by Robert E. Howard, that were kind of have a very similar flavor to what Milius puts on the screen, the way he writes, the, his uh, the, his way of thinking. And you know, I watched that uh, that Conan when I was eight years old, and I thought he was the greatest thing in the universe. And I guess I haven't really changed my mind much since then. <laughs> One of the things that I dug about it was this sense of, um, as much as Conan may sound like this, you know, sword and sorcery and just something that exactly a prepubescent teenage boy may like, I actually find something much more profound to it on another level. Conan, there's an element of it that is an existential approach to life. You know, there is the sense in Conan that there are forces out there that are greater and bigger than you, and there's really not much you can do about it. But you can decide how you're going to go down. You know, you can decide that, yeah, there may be no greater cosmic meaning to it all. There may be that the gods, so to speak, figuratively or not, however you want, don't really give a crap about your own individual life. There may be this inherent sense of kind of tragedy in the human condition, which is sort of what would make a lot of the existential philosopher get really tortured and introverted. And the Conan approach is, well, fuck it. Let me grab a jug of red wine, kill, uh, kill my enemies and kiss a beautiful woman before it all goes down in flame, and at least I'll have a party before it's all over, you know? <laughs> and there's something that I love about that, where the realization of this deep, heavy existential stuff managed not to spoil your zest for life, I find it really beautiful and inspiring. Well, yeah, that's basically Milius in a nutshell, right? Yeah. I mean... If you guys haven't seen it, there's a documentary uh, that they did. Oh, I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Which which one is that? I haven't seen it. It's just Milius, right? Exactly. It's called yeah. Milius. I had the, one of the guys who did the documentary on the podcast a few months back. And oh, awesome. That particular thing is, I mean, usually how good can a documentary be that talk about the, the, the career of a screenwriter, director with lots of people in front of a camera talking and not much happened, right? fucking amazing it's just brilliant it's so yeah. powerful and emotionally intense and and yeah i love john milius to death he's just amazing yeah the 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 whole uh the big lebowski tribute yeah the john goodman character that was awesome because I, I never put those two together until right. i saw the documentary but then it makes sense because even the like John Goodman basically looks like him in that movie with the vest and everything. So. Yeah, no, Milius is nuts, and I like him precisely for that. But to give you, I guess, to add to the Conan thing and uh, give you a flavor, this is something that I do bring up in this episode that I'm releasing at the end of the month. I was um, flying. I was on this plane flying back from Italy to US. 
And um, my girlfriend was there with me, and she was asking me, what do you dig so much about Conan? What is that you like so much about it? And I started answering, and I went three words into it, and I couldn't quite get it. It wasn't what I wanted to say. I started again, and I was like, yeah, that doesn't quite capture it. And so then I just grabbed her, just kissed there passionately for three minutes straight, and I was like, that's why I dig Conan. After that. <laughs> that's really cool um andre go, go ahead i don't want to oh, be yeah, the, the, the the bruce lee documentary yeah, yeah. so how, how did you get involved with that <laughs> that's a funny like, story yeah yeah because <laughs> i imagine it is yeah because we, yeah we've talked about conan so yeah. far, so this is going to be awesome, probably. Yeah. Bruce Lee thing is actually there's a long genesis to this, which is bizarre. I'll make it short, but I'll keep the key points. Is for um, I was trying to um, I was in Cardiff, Wales, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> since since Cardiff, Wales has a lot to do with with Bruce Lee, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so while I was there, I found out that there was a university professor there, Paul Bowman, who had written this book about Bruce Lee. And I found out that one of the chapters of the book was kind of picking apart something that I'd written about Bruce Lee. And he went on and on about it for a whole chapter. And I was like, huh, interesting. And this guy is right here. So I was like, okay. So I went to his office hours to meet with him. And so when I was like, he was kind of looking at me like, huh? And I'm like, oh, Daniele Bolelli. And I, again, I'm probably making this up. I'm actually 95% sure that I'm making this up and this is not what happened, but I like my version better, so I'll tell it that way. I could swear that in his eyes there was the moment of, oh, shit, this guy, is, <laughs> this guy read what I wrote about him and he came from Italy to kill me. He's even, you know, Godfather style to exact revenge. So he was super polite with me and super nice. And the more I played nice with him, the more he was like, no, no, but I really like your stuff. Da, da, da. And eventually we left and it was all pleasant and mellow. And, and eventually what happens is the, um, by, you know, a few months later, I get this call uh, from somebody saying, hey, we're shooting this documentary about Bruce Lee. Uh, Paul Bowman, who we contacted because he's the top academic dealing with Bruce Lee issues, strongly recommended you for your writings and stuff. <laughs> And so can you, we have tomorrow, we are interviewing Kobe Bryant right after we could interview. I'm like, sure, I can fit right after Kobe. I can do that. <laughs> so it, that's how it went. You know, it was kind of like a last minute thing. And I just went in, we did the recording. I hit it off real well with the director, Pete McCormick, who's a really great guy, smart, brilliant. And ever since we've been trying to work together on some projects. So it's been, it's been great. I had a blast. Very cool. And it was, uh, you know, it was on Spike TV, correct? And yeah, it was on Spike. It gave me a chance to meet uh, Shannon, Bruce Lee's daughter, who then became one of the very first guests on my podcast. So wow, it was great. Cool. I, had, uh, I had a really good time with it. And Shannon was a super sweet lady. I was very happy to have a chance to meet her. So, very cool. And and, yeah. and 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 what's your what's your opinion on on Bruce Lee in, in general in general as as an icon? You know, obviously he's a he's a world known, uh, you know, was movie star whatever you want to call it, you know martial yeah. artist. But but he's he's been so much so much more than that. I mean, I'm sure you have your own view on on him as a, as a personality as an icon, and I would really like to like to hear that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Bruce Lee that made him who he is is 
his fire you know he could have been uh, doesn't matter what he would have done in life he would have had that fire anyway and people would have felt it anyway because his personality was just so much more intense than most other people he happened to have the luck to push it through writing and fighting which were things that gave him enormous notoriety but again part of it is just you know somebody else tries to do bruce lee is not the same thing it's just that power that he has and his own personal charisma and one of the things that i dig about him is um, his philosophical approach to life now a lot of his philosophy is not original in the sense that he borrowed most of his ideas from uh, Taoism. he borrowed his ideas from people like alan watts krishnamurti and so on but it doesn't matter because he kind of repackaged it and adapted it to a different cultural context. And, uh, and you know, the ideas were brilliant. He conveyed them beautifully. And his approach, you know, the whole thing he did with Jack Kune Do, the martial art he created, saying basically this is not really another martial arts style. This is more of a philosophical approach to martial arts and emphasizing the, the power of the individual rather than uh, the you know, because most traditional martial arts schools were all about how the individual has to fit with uh, the program, how you are molded by the style. And his thing was the exact opposite, is how the individual can and should borrow from many different styles to enrich their own natural talent. Mm-hmm. Very, so he, he was basically like an MMA, MMA style Yeah, yeah, not apply to sports, I guess, which is what MMA will do, apply to sort of street fighting. But yes, same idea, absolutely same concept. That's why I think Dana White then was all going off about uh, Bruce Lee being the father of MMA because many of the ideas are essentially what, you know, in decades down the road, the UFC ended up discovering through trial and error, confirm a lot of Bruce Lee ideas. Uh, and and you do know there's a statue of him in Bosnia. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a great story. I brought it up with Shannon actually. I did uh, I did tell her about it because I thought it was such a great, amazing story. Yeah, there's a bunch of people that are just named Bruce Lee now. <laughs> <laughs> are, you ma- are you making this up or is this? No, no, no. There's people that change the name to like Bruce Lee and stuff. Oh, it's awesome. weird. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. It's awesome, but weird. Yeah. No, because, because he, he just means, I mean, he he grew, I mean, you know, the people who, you know, are, Daniela, are your age or, or, you know, in between your and my age, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you are. You know, the, we're, we're the people that grew up with Bruce Lee in a way. I mean, we all seen these movies. Yep. We grew up with it. We pretended to be Bruce Lee when we were kids. And I imagine, like, you know, when the war in Balkans and especially in Bosnia happened, like, this was the hero of the generations, you know, like, yep. and, 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 you know the way you know I read about this the statue and what it means to people there and and you know it's just uh has so so deep of a meaning that they put a you know in 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 Sarajevo that they put this actually not in Sarajevo I'm sorry in Mostar uh they, they put a statue up because it it, it with, with the intention to bring all these different ethnicities together to 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 bring it into a uh, you know, to bring it as one you know it's a symbol of solidarity and and it just shows how big of a uh, a star he really was that he had that kind of power to in one of the most um you know zones that seen the most war in the in the last 20 years you know uh, that, that he's the one that's this his icon his name is the one that's trying to bring the people together i think I know, it's, just, it's just unbelievable that idea is totally brilliant it's like okay what do we have in common so we don't start all shooting at each other again okay we all right. like bruce lee that's a good start <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
for sure. But yeah, and he's like his movies actually like made it to Europe, you know, in like the seventies, I guess, or eighties, yep. right? Yeah. I mean, you could actually see those movies on TV even in like Yugoslavia and I guess Italy too. Whereas, you know, like most other, I guess, well, Western movies, but whatever you want to call them, they like, didn't get on TV in Europe for a long time. At least not where we, like how we, yeah. but Bruce Lee, I had probably at least five or six of those Bruce Lee, more, probably more on those Betamax uh, oh, yeah, cassettes back in the day. <laughs> and I probably still have them somewhere at home, but um, uh, the I ever that I still, if I ask about Bruce Lee, everybody knows who he is. I can ask any other name that I throw out there. Is uh, There will be somebody who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Bruce Lee is the only case that I've ever had that every single person I talk to, they all know what the hell is up with Bruce Lee. For sure. And I would add one more guy in Slovenia to that means. I would say Chuck Norris is probably just as big. Andre, would you agree? I'm, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> but more, more, more on a completely different level, of course. Like People make yeah. fun of it, like you know, being like Chuck Norris. But, yeah. but Chuck Norris is, I think, like, I think that's over. I think that meme. It was just for a while, just for a while right? It was like yeah, you made yeah. fun of somebody and you would, like, compare them to Chuck Norris. But obviously, yeah. obviously, I was joking. I mean, Bruce Lee was a completely, completely different level. But right. since, since we're talking about Bruce Lee and MMA, um, Daniela, the, the book you wrote, Create Your Own Legend, which I'm, which I'm holding here in my hand, which I think is, is, Absolutely an amazing, amazing book. And I, I can only say congratulations for writing this. I think it's a masterpiece. Thank um, you, 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 you started writing this book in a way as if you were writing about, about martial arts, correct? Yeah. Like adding different religions and, I mean, writing about different religions, but trying to pull all the best out of each religion. Yeah. And in a way, you can compare that to MMA, which is, you know, mixed martial arts, where you try to, you know, pull everything out from each martial art, all the best things, like combine it into the best possible fighting style you can have. Create Your Religion is, is a book, in a way, that would, would kind of compare to that. Uh, even you mentioned that in your book. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about this book and, 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 you know, what motivated you to write this and how do you see it? And like I said, I think it's a... It's a great book, and I will definitely recommend it to to everybody. It's it's whether you're religious or not, whether you believe in these things or that things. I mean, this book is for you, one hundred percent. So, Daniela, please please talk to me about this. Yeah, basically, the creator on religion is sort of the what Bruce Lee did applied in martial arts is this is trying to do about religion, which is what any honest human being who wants to be honest with themselves need to do which is examine their beliefs, whatever was passed down to them, examine other possible beliefs on the same topic, and as Bruce Lee put it, sort of discard what's useless, absorb what's useful, add your own touch to it, and create your own path in this process. So when it comes to religion, you know, people kill and be killed in the name of religion all the time. People will... Uh, and a lot of it is not even... Like, sometimes I wonder, like, do you really believe this stuff or is it just that you develop an emotional attachment because that's how you are raised? And so to me, it's not an insult to question things. It's a way to make it better, to make it real. I mean, maybe you find out that everything you believe is exactly right, but you have now good reason for feeling that way. Whereas a lot of the time I feel that people just... Um, the problem I have with, and not just to religion, this applies to political philosophies, applies to martial arts, applies with every field of human experience. Human beings have a tendency to become dogmatic. Because anytime we find something we like, 
then we want to protect it, we want to keep it, we want to never change it, we want to, which is sweet and all, except that leads to turning things into dogmas, and dogmas lead toward very dangerous, ugly roads. When it comes to religion in particular, religious dogma does a lot of damage, which does not mean religion does a lot of damage, it means religious dogma does a lot of damage. So my thing is, how can we keep the best that different religions have to offer without being bugged down by all the ugly negative stuff? And so what I do is sort of take a look at the stuff that I really don't like about various traditions. And what I do is I go topic by topic. I pick sort of the big topics of human life, whether we're talking about our relationship with the environment, our relationship with our own bodies, our relationship in terms of gender roles, attitudes towards sex, attitudes, you know, all the key elements that anybody who's alive will have to deal with in one way or another. Everybody needs to sort of find their own answers to these issues because they affect how you're going to carry yourself out in the world. To me, is let's explore those topics. Let's see what answers are out there in order to figure out which ones really make sense to us. And maybe it happens that we do find the right answer between one tradition, or maybe it becomes a matter of taking from two, three, four different traditions and mixing it together to create our own answers that really make sense to us and works. But that's sort of the approach to it. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, you know, going going through the book and reading about all these all these uh, different topics that you just mentioned, um, there's there's so many moments where where you where, where in my experience, I would just put the book down and think about it, or you know, think about the topics that you're mentioning, or simply um, just just have to laugh about, it, especially the. The the segment Grandma from Hell, the story that you listen to the Christian radio on the way home from uh, from uh, whatever you were, I mean things like that that makes you think, that makes you think about religion, that makes you ask like the world we live in and 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 you know the, the, the what religion is doing to to us and how is it creating or changing the world and so many so many more questions pop up. I think at the end of the at the end of it, you know, it, it it really is like you said. It's important that you find your own way, that you question things, and that you you can grow as a personality in that kind of way. Um, you know, my my question would be: as soon as I knew that we're finally going to sit down or you know be able to talk, mm-hmm. um, my my I always wanted to ask you this one one question, and I'm I'm a little bit afraid that it could be a stupid question, but still I want to see your reaction to it. Um, if you could envision the world without religion, I mean, can you envision it? Like, it, would that world be be possible to exist? I mean, I don't um, see it for one reason because um, re- the popularity of religious beliefs is intimately tied to fear of death because we all want answers about what the hell happens after we die, and you know, rationality doesn't give us the answers. So I don't really see until we figure out a way, you know, if we figure out the technological solution by which nobody dies anymore, then I can see how maybe religious beliefs would be one of the primary reasons for their popularity would decline. But until that happens, people need to come to terms with their mortality. And the pure, rational, scientific knowledge doesn't really give you any kind of solid answers to allow you to do that which means that in one way or another, people are going to need uh, something else. And which is, again, the reason why I don't really see religions going away anytime soon. Because it's to, they address something that nothing else does. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they address it well, or they all do, 
but it means they address it. And in some cases, people would rather have a so-so answer than a no answer to issues such as, you know, is there meaning to life? What happens after we die? All of those kind of things. Right. You know, the uh, hardcore materialistic scientist approach of, oh, consciousness is just an accident. You're just... Uh, um, a body and then when it's over it's over there's no in- inherent meaning in anything it's not exactly the most uplifting thought ever and by the way to some degree even that requires faith because there's no proof that that's true either you know that's also um, it's not like we know that for a fact and all the religious stuff we know it's crap but we decide to believe it because it makes us feel good the reality is nobody knows and nobody's gonna know anytime soon anyway. So but most human beings can't deal with the ambiguity of not having an answer to those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's why Conan comes back and he will say <laughs> <laughs> Um so I don't know, if 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 one could create a religion, um what 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 would your your opinion a perfect religion look like? If that if that's even possible to to, to imagine or to envision. One open-minded in the sense that willing to adapt its beliefs in a case-to-case by scenario rather than, you know, setting super rigid rules that then there are three million exceptions to. So why are you even setting up rigid rules if you are going to allow for? So I would be encouraging something that's very flexible in its nature that reject any kind of fanaticism. So, you know, anytime... I mean, to me, the litmus test for whether a belief is healthy or not is how it affects your behavior. If it makes you a nicer human being, if it makes you nicer to your neighbor, if it makes you help the old lady cross the street, I don't even need to agree with what you believe, but I like it already because it is making you a nicer person. If your beliefs make you want to chop the heads of the people who believe different from you, it's a horrible belief. It doesn't even matter what it is. It could be great, but if that's how it affects you, it's a bad deal. So I'm interested in those beliefs that help elevate the quality of human life, which, of course, there's an element of it that's subjective. But, you know, a religion that uh, allows us to go in harmony with our physical self, in a religion that doesn't make us battle against our instincts, a religion that maybe refines our instincts but doesn't deny them, a religion that uh, figure out a way for human beings to live on this planet rather than destroying it. You know, those are, to me, the key, and these are just a few, uh, religions that don't put one gender down or make life incredibly harder for, in this case, historically has been primarily women. Uh, You know, religions that basically help the greatest number of human beings live a happier, more fulfilling life. And I guess those are some of the specific things that come to mind. And and, and is is Taoism um, a lot of what you mentioned just now? I mean, because it seems like when you're reading the book that you're, um, I'm not going to, I don't know how to phrase it, I'm not going to say that you're in favor of, but it seems like you're definitely leaning towards uh, yeah, Taoism that, and, and, and the religions similar to Taoism. Taoist philosophy is brilliant. The way Taoism has turned into a religion Sometimes is interesting, sometimes is not, as uh, people made it. You know, again, you can come up with the greatest idea and people can still turn them into dogmas. So some Taoist religions not nearly as interesting as some of the more purely philosophical approaches to Taoism. Some Buddhist ideas are great. You know, I tend to like more some of those, but some being the keyword, because there are certain aspects of Buddhism that I really don't dig. 
there are aspects of religions that I'm not as fond of that are actually really interesting and good. So, you know, it's, yeah, I do, my approach is, uh, if we want to, I mean, even my podcast, right, is the Drunken Taoist. Right, right. I dig Taoism, for sure, because unlike most other things that are based on faith and belief, Taoism is based on just natural principles. It's just this is how the universe works. If you want to accept it, great. If you don't, don't. That's up to you. It's just if you do, you can use those principles to make your life easier. But nobody's pointing a gun to your head to do it. So feel free to disregard. I like that. You know, there's something much more pleasant about this than asking me to believe blindly in something that I have no proof of. And if I don't believe blindly now, it's a really bad deal. It's like, why? Who said that? <laughs> right. And, and what, about, uh, what about atheism? Uh, we've heard, I mean, it seems like it's, a, it's a, almost like as if it's a, it's a new religion, a religion of, of the new millennium or, you know, the, the, I've, I've listened to the last, last podcast you had with Joe Rogan. You were mentioning atheism plus, I think, was it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean and you had some interesting opinions on that. And uh, there's definitely some things about atheism that I would say, okay, I can, I can agree with that. But there's, when it comes to like, again, pushing it down your throat and all, almost becoming a new religion, that's where I have a, I have a problem with it. What's, what's your opinion on that? I guess the problem I have is with anybody who's 110% sure of their conclusions. So somebody, you know, the um, like to me, the only honest thing that anybody can be in regard to religious issues is agnostic to some degree, because the reality is that you never fully know what mm-hmm. what's out there, right? We don't know how the universe really works. We don't know the level of consciousness that are available. We, there's so much that we don't know. So... I don't mind, if by atheism we mean just the rejection of the most uh, ugly religious fairy tales that have been passed along, I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem when atheism becomes its own dogma. It's no, this is how the universe works, we know it, which means that all the religious stuff is all trap, it's all equally useless, it's... How the hell, what makes you so damn sure? You know, do you really... Have you experienced so little in life that you can reduce all of it to the kind of stuff that you can reproduce in a lab that according to strict scientific knowledge? Are you, I don't know, man, I find that kind of certainty dangerous because Mm -hmm. I don't really think that you can be certain of anything based on incomplete evidence. I think you can lean strongly one way or another, but I think any type of belief that's set in stone limits your brain to the possibility that life is weird and it can constantly surprise you yeah yeah no i I, you know i I definitely tend to to lean that way to be to be very um i don't know how to explain but to say that i I believe what i see and and more and more i'm becoming that and the funny thing is that i you know i grew up um uh you know i'm you know christian catholic i was was going to church as a kid and uh, i was actually um uh, altar boy is that how we say it, right as yeah, a kid altar boy, altar boy. Exactly. um so uh, maybe for a year or so and um it was you know early when I, it was probably when i was 10 years old maybe maybe 11 12 and it was already at that point i was i, I knew and within you know within myself that uh you know believing in god and believing in 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 not not necessarily in god but in, in this this old man you know living in the clouds was just not for me you know and right. all my friends that was going there they they were so into it. They're like, oh, yeah, they were really, really religiously following every word that they were teaching us in church. And I, I knew it 
already that age that that just simply wasn't for me and um uh in a way maybe it sounds weird but i'm i feel like i'm lucky that i had the chance to go through that just to see it for myself to learn even yeah. as if it was an early age to to go through this so i can you know push that aside even though a lot of my my you know people that i was hanging out with were going to church and were religious yep. i was able to get through that i think that's that's important that uh, you know at least for me it was to go through it and to learn it by myself and um um that would definitely wouldn't call myself an, an atheist at this point but um, you know, following the religious, the religion of uh, the religion of I don't know would be the one that <laughs> that, that, I, that I'm following. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know with the qualifier, I guess, because he's I don't know, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that's what Alan Watts called the wisdom of insecurity of not being so set in your beliefs that you reject all possible alternatives. But of course, it doesn't mean that he's a paralyzing doubt. He's not that doubt that is like oh, I don't know anything. I can never make up your mind. You know, you can have very strong instinct that push you one way or another that sort of like this is what I seem to make sense to me until if something else shows up that makes me think differently, great. I'll I'll change gladly change my mind on that day. So it doesn't mean that we don't need to have any beliefs, but it is a very healthy step to keep you light on your feet. Yes. Definitely definitely good advice, yeah. Um, and then atheism is like a I don't I don't know that word like over here that word basically never gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a really American thing, right? Because uh, yeah, because America's America, I guess. Well, and also and because your organized religion is really big deal. You know, it's yeah. such a big deal that then the opposition to it is also becomes a big deal. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why I think that that's a great point because I think it's just yeah that it's basically just because organized religion is such a huge thing there. Yeah, the opposition has to be stronger, I guess. Yeah, than it is over here. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, when I grew up in Italy, it's like how many people did I know were really hardcore Catholic for real? Very, very few. Out here, he was a trip, man. Just like. Degree mm. to which people were really strongly big time religious, it was really nothing that I'd ever seen in Europe before. Which yeah, which surprises me like all the time. You know, yeah, when me I too. talk to yeah. people from America, yeah. like it just that that that's oh well, maybe since the two thousands and the whole Bush era, mm. right? You got a glimpse of that even like through just the news, right? Because you hear about the Carl Rowe stuff and you right. know the the uh, born again people and mm-hmm. all of that but like that never even entered my mind that that was actually part of america because america was supposed to be you know the people fleeing from religious persecution and then you know yeah just yeah yeah it's a trip and again la is nothing compared to most other places in, in u.s when you travel through so much of the united states it's like got this got that everywhere very strongly felt in a way that kind of freaked me out I can imagine, and you're Italian again. We yeah. see this is yeah, we're coming full circle. So yeah, that's okay. <laughs> they really must be weird. So yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, uh, Daniele, uh, w- without without getting into it too much, um, but but still, as as a, as a parent, I have to ask you because you're such a. I really look up to you in that in that in that regard. Um, you know, you had a, a heavy tragedy tragedy. You know, a few years ago was with a, you know loss of your wife, and, yep. and 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 being a parent, you have a, you have a little girl. Uh, I think she's she's about four or five years old now. Five. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's just like my oldest daughter, and um, it, 
I mean, I, I, I like to know how, how did you how did how did you adjust to such a heavy loss? Like as a parent, like how did you get through it? I mean, you know, I, like I said, it's 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 I'm really looking up 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 to you in in, in that regard. It's it's uh it's it's really nice to 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 see you like in the last podcast that uh, you were Joe Rogan, which I mentioned a couple of times. Your daughter was there. I mean, it was special. And uh, um, you know, how how did that change you? And and what kind of befather are you striving striving to become with all these things that you just mentioned now in the podcast that you're doing? Obviously, you have a very busy life, uh, but still. Yeah, I think it's um, halfway pat myself on the back, halfway not. Because clearly, you know, my daughter is happy. She's now five, so it's been almost four years. As, um, so, you know, I clearly have done something right in that regard. But at the same time, you know, there are clearly something that I've not done right because uh, I've paid a heavy price because obviously I haven't dealt with things probably in the best possible way. Not that I know what the best possible way is, otherwise I would have gladly done it. But, you know, the fact that I had a million health issues over the last three years is directly connected with mental issues, you know, with the fact that I was... Uh, that uh, stress had to go somewhere. And, you know, on a, through sheer willpower, I didn't let it go to a place where it would uh, make me ineffective in taking care of my daughter. But my body took a toll. So, you know, the combination of uh, heavy grief and stress for a long period of time, I'm still trying to figure out ways to adjust to it. You know, in some ways, my life, the last three and a half years, I've done so much stuff that I'm very happy about primarily, you know, how my daughter came out and, you know, anything from podcasts and a bunch of other things. And then on another level, I'm regularly struggling with just a certain heaviness that creeps up on me, despite all the good stuff that I'm doing, despite the fact that I'm having a blast in this and that and the other. And uh, it's kind of a constant battle, and I'm trying to figure out a way out to just get my nose above water for good, because... Um, because it's weird. It's like I'm, one day I'm like super happy, excited about what I'm doing. The next day I feel this heavy sense of, I hate to call it depression, but it's something along those lines that try to sink me down. And so I need to go to battle with it again and try to rise up. And some days it doesn't work and I just have this you know heavy energy to me. And then eventually I manage to pull through. I think a lot of it, I feel it now more than I did before. Because early on, I was in pure survival mode. You know, it's like suddenly I'm the father of a 19-month-old baby. I'm by myself. I had really didn't have much help at that time. Um, a bunch of other things happened right around the same time. So I realized that my teaching career wasn't really going to go anywhere in the sense that I wasn't going to get a full-time job anywhere, whereas I thought I was. Uh, we are losing our house since now it was just my income rather than two incomes. So, you know, in the space of a few weeks, my wife dies, which is obviously the most important thing. And then as a side note, you have your career is going to crap and your house is being lost. It's like I could not afford to uh, let grief stop me, you know, primarily for my daughter. Because, you know, again, you, know, you have uh, a 19-month-old baby. She doesn't give a crap whether what's going on with you. And in some way, it doesn't even matter what's going on with you. It is a little baby who lost her mom, who needs all the attention in the world. Not just taking care of stuff on a practical level, of course, but also on an emotional level. You know, she needs happiness. She needs smile. And, and they need to be real. So it doesn't matter what I was feeling. I had to tap into a different part of me that could find 
reasons to be happy even in the middle of that context because she needed it. You know, if I didn't and I was just, you know, changing diapers and feeding her, I would take care of her practically, but she would kind of grow out of those very heavy, sad vibes. So, you know, I did it through really just, I have no other option. I need to do it because that's what will help her dramatically. And I think eventually when things slow down a little bit where I'm like, okay, I'm not in the same degree of survival mode. I think more of the emotions come out and I'm still dealing with them now and trying to figure it out. You know, I'm still, and it's a day by day thing, really. Just some days I feel like I'm doing great and some days I'm like, oh shit, we're still here. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't even, can't even imagine, but still, like, like I told you before, and I really mean it, like, it's, uh, you're like a role model when it comes to that, you know, <laughs> even though that, I, obviously, I don't know you that much, that well, and, and, uh, and all that, but, but still, like, it's, it's, it's good seeing you that, uh, that you're, uh, taking care of your little girl, and you're being a, you're being a really good dad, and, um, you know, you should, you should pat yourself on the, on the back more and more often. <laughs> there are the times, though, that is funny when you see, you know, I, kids are such a good mirror for where you're at because, you know, it's so easy to lie to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like when suddenly I notice, you know, you have to repeat the same thing for the seventh time as it's normal that you have to do with kids or, you know, they spill their milk all over. The, and if all of a sudden you see yourself jumping with this, Damn it, what the hell is it? Why did you do that? Why do I have and then you look at yourself like really? This is where this is where we're at. And I was like, so I realized that it's always just under the surface. There's that element of being tired and frustrated and overwhelmed. Yeah. And so it, it happens to all of us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that constant battle, right? For sure. For sure. I mean, it happens to me a lot of times when I just got to call my son down and be like, calm down. It's just, you know, she, she just spilled the milk. It's not a big deal. Like, yeah, sometimes yeah. You, you, when you when you make a step back and look at it, you you, you realize how um, how how non-important some things are that we worry about. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yep. Um, last question for you. And I, I like to ask that um, the, all, the, all the people or most of the people we talk to, unless I forget the yep. question, is uh, yep. wh- where do you see yourself in the 10 years? Like, where would you like to see yourself in 10 years? Where do you think you're going to be 10 years from now? Where I would like to be. I would like to be alive. That would be a good start. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be healthier physically and mentally or I'm in a place where I kind of dealt with this stuff better where suddenly I'm not living under this heavy load all the time and I really I would like to shift my energy so that I can put it more and more into things like podcasting and uh, um, there are a few cinema ideas that I'm having that I'm playing with with Pitch McCormick see hopefully something like that goes through in terms of screenwriting uh, books, uh, more of my creative side. I would like for that to become uh, rather than a fun hobby that's giving me some income and it's pleasant, something that become maybe even something that I can completely shift toward. Not that I don't like teaching, I love teaching, but I think the whole bureaucracy that's behind it, the whole academic mafia that I have to deal with, I, I'm tired of dealing with it. It's sort of sucking the fun out of teaching a lot of the time. So in the best possible words, I would like to be able to do more of those things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the goal. Yeah, well, I hope it happens. 
happens for you. If if you're ever, uh, you know, we were in touch last in the last season, and you yep. know, again, if you're if you're ever in Europe, please contact me. Um, Absolutely, I'll definitely, I definitely love to see you at one of my games. Um, it would be it would be a pure pleasure um, to have you have you at games, and uh, maybe we can sit down and, and go for coffee after that, and uh, and uh, you know, talk more. I have a million more questions for you, but we'll we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Daniela, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, thanks. Thank I you. I really, guys. really appreciate it. This was this was a, a dream come true for me. I, I been like I told you, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and uh, and finally talking to you, it's been it's been a real pleasure. So thanks, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Um, and when you make it to this other side of the ocean, then we'll uh, reverse roll, and I'll get you on the Brancan Taoist. I would uh, love to. I would love to. I'm I'm actually planning to come into states in the in the summertime, so I'll, I'll contact you and. Uh, um, hopefully, hopefully we can get together. It'll be it'll be real cool. That would be perfect. Um, Andrea, we uh, what do we have for the end? We have um, any of your um, um, admin stuff that I like to say. Well, the podcast <laughs> web page, what was iTunes? Yeah, so on the so podcast on. is on the uh, details dot com is the <laughs> web page, and then it's also on iTunes. So if nice. you can leave a review there, uh, that's that'd be great because other people can find the show. And other than that, stillspodcast.com. Uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's it. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, Daniela, uh, so have a good afternoon. Thanks. Thanks again. And uh, uh, we'll keep in touch through Twitter and emails and all that. And um, really appreciate your time. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.